Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 46 of Grow Bud Yourself. We have a great show in store for you guys today. We're so excited. We've got special guest Rick Campanella, also known as Mr. Soul uh, from Brothers Grim Seeds, the creator of Cinderella 99 and many other amazing strains. Uh, We've got a great cultivation segment and grow Q&A. So please stick around. Episode number 46 brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Diamond Cut Co., and Vapor.com. All right, welcome back. And as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Check out their socials. Uh, the wonderful tune, Grow Bud Yourself, if you want free weed. So, uh, yeah, love the song. This is it, episode 46. We got a great one in store. Uh, Mike, how are you doing? Well, I'm here, so that's that's got to count for something. Indeed, indeed. Keep showing and, up. Yeah, yeah, and, and the world of cannabis uh, is ever-changing. It is, yeah. It's hard to, hard to keep your finger on the pulse of the world of cannabis. Yeah, and, like, we've got breaking news now. Uh, mm-hmm. Locally, we have news that uh, possibly our uh, embattled Governor Cuomo here in New York has given in on some of the uh, the uh, you know regulations, and we may get uh, home grow, uh, which would be a great thing. And uh, as well as that, we could have some uh, increased uh, social equity and that kind of thing for communities uh, disaffected by the war on drugs. So yeah, essentially uh, all the stuff that he uh, left out of his bill, uh, we could end up getting because you know he he at this point. Uh, has very little negotiating power. He's dealing with a, a sex scandal, and the legislature has a supermajority, so they could override any veto of his. So he, he doesn't have a lot of uh, negotiating power at the moment. Right, the COVID nursing home thing too. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's. That's why I said embattled. He's got got it coming from all sides, and uh, you know uh, his uh, bad news is, I guess, good news for uh, cannabis home grow and equity funding. What's hilarious, though, is he's championed cannabis legalization for the last three years in New York. He's introduced it with his budget each of the last three years. Um, Now, of course, in his mind, this is a a way to close the budget gap. He's looking at cannabis as a a revenue generator as opposed to a social rights and criminal justice issue. But he really has uh, pushed for cannabis legalization for a while now. And um, I think he's I think he's agreeing to this not only because he has no negotiating power, but I think he just wants a little kudos on getting this through ultimately. And also, it wouldn't be such a bad thing for him if this headline got him out of the news for for a a little while. Yes, indeed. I mean, even on a more hyper-local level, we've got de Blasio uh, in New York City as our mayor, and he's been mayor since 2014. A recent uh, article came out uh, in AM New York that said, that 94% of the arrests in New York City are black and Latino people. And I I just think that's unconscionable. I think that's such a clearly racist policy. And for him, he campaigned on on ending that. And that was seven years ago. And he's been mayor now seven, you know, 
a, a long enough time that you know this couldn't be just some rogue cops that are just doing this out there this is policy and it's and it's uh, it's unconscionable um so you know on a on a hyper local level for us in new york city that has to change uh on the state level with cuomo and everything else we need home grow and uh you know that all has to change and on a federal level we we need change because obviously you know, the Biden administration just, you know, today it came out that the, there was five staffers that were fired outright for prior previous uh, cannabis use. And, you know, a bunch of other ones that were demoted and, and you know, this whole issue with um, security clearances and, and top secret, you know, information can't be shared with people who, who used to smoke weed. It's just ridiculous. It all has to end Um the idea that he was afraid to endorse legalizing marijuana uh, during the election time is is crazy and tone deaf and, you know, just doesn't really jive with the fact that, you know, that's every, you know, people from all the different parties (laughs) agree that marijuana should be legal. And, you know, it's just, uh, we need that federal change. We need it taken off, descheduled entirely, yeah, for sure. And I, I wasn't one of those people that really thought that Biden was going to be the one to um, to make a big difference for he wasn't going to embrace cannabis. Um, but I'm, I'm still surprised to see him be the one that's enforcing it to this level where he's actually firing and suspending staff for past marijuana use. I, I don't understand this at all. Yeah, you know, I think there's just a political calculus going on that that. Uh you know, is is that middle of the road centrist uh, sort of neo lib ideas that don't necessarily jive with progress and the progressive movement and how much the public wants change. And I think he's playing with you know a deck of cards that maybe was purchased uh, a decade ago, and things have changed, polls have changed, times have changed, and and it's time. Uh, it's a bipartisan support uh, for this issue, and it, you know, it's just a no-brainer. I think he'd go down in history as one of the greats if he did it. And uh, you know, I would say that for Kamala and Joe if they pull this off. But you know, the fact that you know these things are standing in the way is not great. Yeah, it's interesting. It actually um, apparently. This administration, the Biden administration, has increased the number of allowable past marijuana experiences um, employees of the White House can have, you know, from what it was set at for the Obama and Trump administrations. But still, as Dan said, uh, we need to we need to catch up with what's happening in the world. You know, it's time to just stop worrying about marijuana use at all. Exactly. 100 percent agreed. But we uh, we digressed a little bit to give you guys a, uh, a sample of what's going on in the world of cannabis. Um, but we have an incredible and very lengthy and in-depth interview coming up. Yes, indeed. Uh, Rick Campanella, he is also known as Mr. Soul of Brothers Grim Seeds, uh, responsible for some of the building blocks of genetics, uh, such as Cinderella 99, uh, Apollo uh, XX, uh, Rosetta Stone. It's a, a bunch of amazing strains that uh, he's been responsible for and growing for decades. And a great, amazing story of uh, science and genetics and uh, love of cannabis. So uh, I'm really 
happy and honored to have him on the show to talk about uh, himself and Brothers Grimm and the strains. And yeah, we're excited about this one. Now it sounds good. So uh, what do you think? Should we jump right to that? Yeah. Why don't we uh, take a little break uh, without further ado and come back with Mr. Soul. Hey, you guys, I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers, incredible people, and they have made some incredible products as well, including their THC-infused pain rub. And you know it works because you're talking about people who are real, true cannabis medical patients that are making this. Just want to shout out Outcast and, and uh, TOH. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. All right, welcome back. And this is Grow Bud Yourself. We are so uh, pleased to have a special guest with us today. Our guest is Rick Campanella, also known as Mr. Soul of Brothers Grimm Seeds, uh, famous for a bunch of strains that we will be talking about. So thank you, uh, Rick, Mr. Soul. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Nice to see you again, Danny. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you have uh, decades of experience in the cannabis industry, uh, but also you're a nuclear engineer. Is that correct? Yeah. When I got out of high school, I didn't go immediately to college. Um, I learned to become a machinist and I was sort of an apprentice, uh, journeyman uh, machinist for a few years. By the time I was 21, though, I had gone back to college and started an engineering uh, discipline. And Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute offered um, entry into their um, school if you did well enough at a local school, which I did. And so they accepted me as a junior in the nuclear engineering program. But in my uh, senior year as a nuclear engineering student at RPI, I got um, curious uh, about growing marijuana and uh, had a walk-in closet in the, uh, in the apartment that my roommates and I had rented. And I thought, wow, you know, I could set up a garden in there. And I got a cannabis how to grow book. You know, uh, today I always recommend your book to people when they say, hey, do you know any good go growing guides? I said, yeah, Danny Danko just wrote one. <laughs> it's the perfect one to just pick up because all the other ones are so dated. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so anyway, I looked up how to find seeds. There were only two seed banks in the world at that time. They were both in Amsterdam. There was the seed bank with Neville Schoenmacher, the famous uh, now deceased uh, breeder. And then there was Super Sativa Seed Club that was run by a guy named Keish, K-E-E-S. And um, he and I set up like a sort of a pen pal uh, relationship during my graduate school years. I, I went on and got my master's degree in nuclear engineering too. And then I was hired out of college 
by Super Sativa Seed Club because of our exchanges through um, snail mail. You know, in those days, there wasn't even any email. So they liked me, I liked them, and they offered to let me work for them as their United States distributor of the seeds for Super Sativa Seed Club, which was what I did in my evenings. And then by day, I was a nuclear engineer in, uh, in, uh, not, uh, in a normal, you know, like office environment, sitting in a cubicle with computer and colleagues and working on projects. And so it was a great double life, I guess you could call it. And uh, I was intellectually very curious and still am, you know, so having the stuff I was doing in the evening, learning to grow and breed, um, using Super Sativa Seed Club's seed stock. I had every one of their strains, uh, a canister of each uh, different seed. And so I could grow them, observe them, learn from what I saw, breed them, learn from my breeding and so on. So that's really where I learned a lot of the um, basics of what I do today, uh, both as a breeder and as an owner of a seed company, because I got a view into, you know, the actual selling side and the business side because I was working for a company that was a seed bank and one of the only ones to, of two in the whole world at the time. And I had all of their excellent genetics to play with. So it was just a no pun intended breeding ground for me to become a breeder, you know. <laughs> and so, Yeah. Now, um, do you think that the scientific process and understanding engineering and things like that actually... Uh, helped you in the breeding process at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if at, at the very lowest level, it was helping me in the sense that I had learned how to learn. You know, when you go to college, a lot of people come out of it and say, what did I learn in college? Ah, I kind of learned how to learn. And when you know that, and especially with the tools that are available to kids today, I mean, uh, <laughs> You can learn everything so much easier because of the internet. You know, you just look up a YouTube video that kind of has somebody explain to you the things that you want to know. And in most cases, you'll find some reasonable information if it's, if it's not too esoteric a subject. And so I did think that, you know, my analytical ability, I've always been really good at math and physics. And so biology and these types of things, botany, they're almost easier, you know, if you could say that. I mean, there's different types of uh, intelligence and there's different kinds of levels of difficulty in all of those different branches. So I like to think that I'm a pretty well-rounded, I've been called a renaissance man by some people, uh, even very recently. So that sticks in my mind and I kind of uh, gravitate to and, uh, and do associate uh, with that term, you know, like all my life I've wanted to be um, unable to be on my deathbed and have a lot of regrets about things I didn't try, you know? So I wanted to have all the experiences that this life on the planet earth could provide me, you know? <laughs> nice. Now explain the difference between, uh, basically just taking male pollen and, mm -hmm. uh, crossing it with a female flower and getting seeds and the actual, uh, cubing process or, or, you know, development of, a strain and st stabilizing that and that sort of uh, scientific process. Yeah, many uh, people would know of the book by um, our friend, uh, uh, Mr. Robert Clark. Clark. Yeah, uh, so uh, Marijuana Botany uh, by Clark is, is an amazing uh, introductory uh, volume that somebody could buy and have a 
pretty good idea of what the classic methods for stabilizing a strain or creating a true breeding strain. Uh, you have to remember that in the outdoor world where most agriculture was done for the last hundreds of years, um, they didn't have the, the um, advantages that we have today of being able to take a cannabis plant, keep it in the vegetative state by putting it in a room where the light cycle is long enough that it simulates summertime and the plant never flowers. So um, in the uh, historic uh, development of agriculture, they had to deal with the fact that plants like cannabis plant would die at the end of the season. They would not be able to keep a clone of it like we do today. Am I making that clear? So <clears throat> my, the distinction is that Every year, your parent plants that you've created seeds from would die, and they would not be available for next spring to make identical seeds from the same parents, right? <clears throat> so understanding that we now have that technology because we have indoor grow rooms that we can leave the lights on for whatever light cycle we want, we can keep our mother plants, i.e. the plants that will be take, cuttings will be taken from them, and they would be flowered, thereby saving the actual plant as a photocopy machine for future plants that are identical to that same plant. So that's the cloning process that many of us take for granted nowadays. And I would imagine anybody who's in this trade takes that for granted. But we have to remember that the agricultural methods that were developed over the hundreds of years that came before us now didn't have that luxury. So the way they used to do it was that each season they would take the best of each, uh, they take the seeds and grow them out, and then the best individuals would be crossed for next year's seed. And so that's where the uh, F1, F2, F3, and so on generational um, designations and terminology come from. And so if you read Robert Connell's, uh, his name is complicated, Robert Connell Clark, his book is so excellent, but it describes what I consider to be sort of an old fashioned way of doing it. Uh, and you're crossing the best of the best from each generation and creating F2, F3 and so on. And right away, I mean, that that creates confusion to the neophyte in this field. You know, they're, they're coming into it, looking at seeds and they hear, it's almost like me learning guitar. I've been at that for some time, but I still look at it like I'm not one of the really good guitar players who knows everything, you know, and uh, so I don't know whether when I'm reading something, is that sort of an old wives tale or is that, you know, the straight scoop that an OG would tell me, no, don't pay any attention to that. You know, if you want to really be a guitar player, this is what you have to know. The same thing with cannabis or any other field, I find, you know, that there will be a lot of misinformation, old wives tales to dispel and so on and so forth. And the thing that I'm trying to uh, elucidate right now is that just because the number next to the F is larger doesn't mean that it's any better than the previous generation. That depends on how that was created each time, right? If you pick very poorly the two individuals you're going to create the next season seed from, that F3, if it would say it'll be an F3, is not going to be better than the F2. It's going to probably be worse and so on and so forth. So stabilizing strains traditionally had been done by repeatedly crossing the best of the best males and females from each crop to create the next season's seed. And so having said all that, <laughs> 
what I did and what um, the cubing process that you uh, that you alluded to, and that's how Cinderella 99 was created. It's famously known that, you know, I posted this all over the place and it's on our website, the Cinderella story, is that I found a really special individual female that I really loved and thought, wow, I wish I had a seed source that I could share this same individual uh, plant with all my friends, you know, and at the time we had these rudimentary um, chat rooms on a rudimentary 1990s internet, you know, and so um, I didn't think of selving the plant because at that time we didn't understand as much as we do about hermaphroditism and such. And I guess I always was very proud of the fact that all of my strains didn't hurt me, you know, and Brothers Grimm strains are known even after decades now as being plants that you can count on. They're not going to hurt me. And neither do the fem seeds that I create now, too. And I'll explain why later. But um, just to close that question, the cubing process worked by taking clones of that one individual female and crossing them to first a male um, doesn't really have to be a specific male or it, it, he's going to be f sort of faded out in this process anyway. So if you think about it, it's almost better to have a male that is very dissimilar to the female that you're using because each, here's what you're going to do in each um, time you cross a male to your female, the resulting seeds are going to be 50% the genes of the female and 50% the genes from the male. Now, if you're looking at their progeny and you see females that look a lot like mommy you know, and uh, not as much like daddy, those are probably going to be the ones that you like, right? Because that's the plant that you're trying to recreate. So in each, uh, each generation, if you follow how this cubing process works, and it's called cubing because cubed means raised to the third power in mathematics, right? So what we're doing is three generations of back crossing to that same female with the resulting progeny, if you follow the first time, those seeds are going to be 50% the mom, 50% the father. And then if you grew those seeds and you used one of the males from that group to cross back to the original female, she's still putting in 50% of her genes. But now the male she was crossed with already had 50% of her genes also. So half of that's 25%. So the, the the next progeny, the next group of seeds, that group is going to be 75% of the original female's genes and only 25% of the male that you started with. And then when you grow those seeds out and you take half of 75 and you add that to 50, now you're at 88%. And then you do it one more time and you're up to 94% of the genetic material coming from the mother's side. And you've essentially faded out any influence of the, of the male. Theoretically, I've not found it to be true, but at that point, you're supposed to be able to consider them the seeds that would come from um, that last cross could be crossed brother to sister and still give you the same seed again as you got from the back cross. I don't find that to be true. I find more variation in there than you would expect for what would supposed to be a true breeding strain, but it does get you something where you're reliably getting over and over the same seeds because now I have a generation of seeds that produce males that when crossed to that original clone, which I still have after over 20 years, we can make 
an identical batch of seeds that give identical results. And the results of the seeds are very uniform, not a, not a lot of variation because they've been back-crossed to that same female over and over. And all of the most dominant genes have now established themselves. And they were the ones that were responsible for all of the positive traits that I liked about the female. So that's the cubing process. And back-crossing in general to a clone that you can keep in the vegetative state and only flower the cuttings from that or clones from that original plant, that's the, be that's the better way to go about breeding, um, in my opinion, than to create F3s and 4s and 5s and so on because of the doubt, you know, of whether you picked the right male and female from each generation to improve upon the previous one and make like an F4 better than the F3 or an F5 better than the F4 and so on. There's way too much uh, doubt or uh, uncertainty in that process. Whereas by back crossing to the same female, you know at least 50% of the genes are coming from that great female. And each time you do a back cross and then use the next generation to, back, to cross back to that same female, you're amplifying and solidifying all the traits from the desired female. Now, biggest uncertainty comes from choosing the male. When you think about it, if you know that the seeds you're producing are gonna be 50% of the male's genes and 50% of the female's genes, it's pretty easy to pick a female that you like and say, okay, she has the qualities that we want, but a male plant doesn't have any female qualities to choose it by. You can't look at the male and see any female qualities. He doesn't have pistols or calyxes. <laughs> There's no bud formation on a male that's analogous to a female. I mean, the female bud, you can look at it and see, this is what I want. It's resinous. It's heavy. It's got yield. It's got potency. It's got flavors that, you know, all the things that you can't look at a male and judge, you can see that directly with your eyes on any female, right? So, each time a breeder tried to create the next generation or another strain by hybridization, the male that they choose is a complete wild card. They have virtually no idea what female qualities this male will pass on to his daughters. And when you think about it, the value of a male plant in a breeding operation is the, the quality of his daughters. It has nothing to do with the sons. We're going to kill them anyway, right? We're not going to use the males. All we care about is, will this male, when crossed to a female, create great female progeny? So that's the measure of the male in the breeding process, right? And so now I've concentrated on making only fem seeds because of that, really, and also because I know how to make fem seeds without any risk of hermaphrodization. I wanted to get into that a little bit, but I should mention you talk about uh, polyhybrids, and I think for our listeners, it's important to understand, um, you know, when they're purchasing Brothers Grimm, there's not going to be a, a ton of variation in no. what they get. But with some breeders, you know, they'll you, even in a pack of ten seeds, uh, there could be three different phenotypes. And oh, that's you'd be, be lucky if there were only three. It might get ten. <laughs> Exactly. The reason for that is, you know, uh, when people cross two plants together, um, they have this imagery in their mind or a conception in their mind that it's going to work like making a milkshake, right? And when you make a milkshake, 
you can mix all different kinds of ice cream together and you're going to taste a little bit of each when you get a milkshake, right? But when you cross two plants together, only if they are two very stable strains, you know, like a land race, okay, a tie and a Colombian or something. And when you cross those two together, since they're so true breeding, there's not going to be much variation in the genes on each side. And each seed that's being created is pretty much like, okay, it's the milkshake of those two. It's the even blending of those two. Uh, and you often see that when you see hybrids in dogs, for example, like you get your Yorkie poo or uh, whatever those uh, other designer dogs are, right? It's a great example to make my uh, point be well illustrated in something that most people can, gra uh, can grasp and they've seen. These designer dogs are the cross between two stable strains, like a Yorkshire Terrier. You cross two Yorkshire Terriers, what do you get? More Yorkshire Terriers, right? You cross two poodles, you get more poodles. But when you cross a poodle and a Yorkshire Terrier, you get a Yorkie poo, okay? <laughs> now, here, take it one step further. What happens if you cross two Yorkie poos? You don't get more Yorkie poos, <laughs> right? You can only get a Yorkie poo by crossing a Terrier, a Yorkshire Terrier, and a poodle, okay? So just like that with, when I create, a hybrid, it's from two stable strains that create a result that is uniformly a mix of the two, and each of the individual brothers and sisters that grow out of those seeds all have very similar characteristics, which is why the Brothers Grimm seeds have the reputation for very stable, reliable, uniform plants that grow from every pack. And if you buy a pack of Rosetta Stone in California, or if you buy a pack of Rosetta Stone in London, they're both going to create a room full of what look like identical plants, like clones, right? Mm -hmm. And the polyhybridization comes in when now we have the Yorkie poo, and we cross two of them together, or even worse, Yorkie poo, and then name me another one of those designer dogs. <laughs> Uh, Labradoodle. <laughs> Labradoodle. Thank you. It's actually the one I had in my mind. Okay, so now you take a Labradoodle and you cross it to a, a Yorkie poo, and what do you get? About eight different combinations of dog, right? Well, that's what people are doing when they cross these polyhybrids, and they don't realize that the breeder nor seed customer, seed purchaser, they both have this misconception that everything works like a blender and it's just a milkshake and it isn't. It's more like a lottery ticket where you're only allowed a certain number of genes from this side and a certain number of genes from that side and they come together and they make an individual seed. And now we do it again and again and again. And it's like a random number generator, right? Whereas with this two stable strains, every time the combination comes together, it's like mixing a a barrel of blue marbles and a barrel of white marbles, you're always going to get a blue and white marble every time right? when you mix them. Mm -hmm. But when you're using a polyhybrid, you could have orange, purple, pink, and black in one, you know, and then uh, brown, silver, gold, and platinum in the other one. And they all mix together in their own. Each one, each seed is going to be different than the last. So that's where all this variation comes from when you're buying seeds that are made from polyhybrids. Right, right. And now one of the things I hear you speak about a lot, uh, you know, in the industry, the term, you know, feminized seeds is used very often. But mm -hmm. you, you, you know, I usually hear calling them female seeds, either femme or female, but not feminized. Yeah, and, here's the reason, okay. Danny. If you think about it, just look at it as a, a word in, an, in the language, English language, right? 
When you add ed to the end of a word, what does that mean? Past tense, right? So if you look at the word feminized, it looks like it was a process that was used on a group of seeds that ordinarily would have been normal seeds, but now you've feminized them. That is absolutely not at all what happens. That's not how feminized seeds are made. And it just gives the wrong connotation to the, uh, the process that's actually being done there. And uh, so there might even still be people, they think for some reason that feminized seeds are created by either some chemicals or a magic wand that's waved over you know, what would have been ordinary regular seeds and now they've become feminized. What they really are is they're female seeds. And what is it that at a chromosomal level defines whether you're male or female? We all know the two letters, right? X and Y. Males are X and Y and females are two X's, which is why a lot of my strains are named XX at the end, like Cinderella XX is the feminized version of C99, Cinderella 99. And, you know, I was actually a little too clever for myself because most people who see that, they, they don't realize the two X's stand for feminized. <laughs> they <just> think <laughs> it's, it's like 20. Roman, in, liter <laughs> Roman numeral 20 or, you know, is this a double back cross? You know, like <laughs> all right. the things I never thought that anybody could ever make that mistake. I, I didn't even think that mistake you know, myself, you know, like, okay. All right. So going back to um, female seeds are seeds that were created by a pollen grain that landed on the female flower from either a male or now we'll talk about females. Um, but that pollen grain, remember now when a po pollen is released from the male, it's like a cloud of tiny particles that are filling the room like sperm would, you know, be analogous to the humans or mammals, I should say. Now, there's millions of them. They're very tiny. Every one of them has either an X chromosome or a Y chromosome in it coming from the parent of the male, right? And if a Y chromosome pollen lands on a flower, all flowers have Xs in them. All flowers have X chromosomes because females only have X right? Two X chromosomes. But the male has both an X and a Y. So half of his pollen is going to have Ys in it. Half of his pollen is going to have Xs in it. And when they land on the female flowers, if an X, if an X pollen lands on the female flower, that seed is going to become a female plant. And if a Y pollen lands on the female's flower, it's going to be a male plant, seed that will become a male plant, right? So the allure and the original um, the original demand for feminized seeds came from the recognition by the grower that, gee, if every one of these seeds was all female, I'd only have to buy just the number that I want to grow, not twice as many. If only these seeds could produce uniquely only females, right? So people started to think about how would I do that? Well, the first clue comes from the idea of the X and Y chromosomes. Well, if we could have a female that would make pollen, since she doesn't have a Y chromosome in her organism to contribute, right? What happens? All of her pollen would have X chromosomes in it, right? But what are we dreaming? You know, like, <laughs> what? that's a fantasy. Females don't make pollen. They don't have pollen. That, that comes out of the male plant, right? Well, only in hermaphrodites, which if we want to define what's a hermaphrodite, a hermaphrodite's a female cannabis plant that under stress 
will create male flowers, which would then open and release pollen, right? And that pollen would have only X chromosomes in it. And so the progenitors of the idea of female seeds back in the late 90s seized upon that idea and said, well, shit, I can stress a female plant into making male flowers and then use the pollen to make female seeds. But of course, it's obvious to anybody listening to this right now, you idiot, don't you realize you'd just be creating more hermaphrodites? You know, so it may be that the pollen has only an X chromosome in it, but it's also carrying the gene for hermaphroditism because you stressed that female into creating male flowers. That's the very definition of a hermaphrodite, isn't it? A female that under stress produces male flowers, right? <clears throat> so the dilemma and the catch-22 at that point for me was, boy, I wish I had a way of getting pollen from a female that wasn't a hermaphrodite. But then <laughs> how do you do that, right? Well, here's the key, really. It's the, the hormones are what are the actual trigger for the male flowers to be created. Because when you think about it on, at the organism's level, on a cellular level and a chromosomal level and all of what's going on deep inside the plant, there's a, there's a uh, X chromosomes in the female, there's Y chromosome and X chromosome in the male. You um, stress a female and she creates flowers, as we just discussed, that would make pollen that doesn't have a Y chromosome in it. But if you stress the female, you've essentially proven that that female is a hermaphrodite. So imagine you take a room full of plants and you stress them, mainly by changing the light cycle from short light cycle, long light cycle, back and forth until the plants get so confused that it makes any one of these plants that has the tendency to be a hermaphrodite, usually it comes out if you play with the light cycles and stress them in that way. So imagine if you had a room full of like a hundred, just to use a round number <clears throat> of females that you've stressed in this way, and you've found that there's a certain number of them that regardless of how much you stress them, they just won't make male flowers. Okay, those are the ones that they really should have been using to pollinate and, and create fe uh, female seeds. But of course, they don't know, how am I going to get them to make male flowers if they don't do it when I stress them? Then what I did was I did a lot of research with uh, like the botany uh, uh, and different scientific journals. And I researched hermaphroditism to the point where it was just I knew a nauseating amount of information about hermaphroditism in all kinds of creatures and in plants in particular. So what I learned was, and it was so obvious once I realized it, it's like it's the hormones that are causing the plant to grow the male flowers. And it's a reaction to the stress that the plant then has a hormonal reaction and makes the male flowers. Now, what if we find plants that regardless of how much stress you induce on them, they won't make male flowers. That doesn't mean that they won't respond to a hormonal induction of male flower generation. And that was the key right there. Bang. Okay, now I've got it. I can find plants that do not hurt me, but I can still make that female produce male flowers, which will create the pollen that only has X chromosomes in it, but it won't have the gene for hermaphroditism. That's the main thing that we're trying to avoid. Now, you also have to complete the picture and make sure that 
the female who's receiving that pollen is also a non-hermaphroditic female. So, so that's what I do is I test female plants that have breeding potential that I think, okay, this would be a great breeding female as long as she doesn't hermy. And then when you've tested that, okay, I've got a good female that is non-hermaphroditic and another one also that I think would make a great mate to it that doesn't also hermy. Now, as opposed to crossing a female and a male, you're crossing two, two females. Think about how much more predictable the results are because you're looking for female progeny and you already know what kinds of female properties both parents have, not just one, both. And you can see it with your eyes, taste it and smoke it. And you know all the female qualities of both parents. And if they've both been proven to be non-hermaphroditic females, you reverse one using, I use silver thiosulfate. And what that does is it blocks the female hormone from exerting its, its influence on the plant. And in, in the absence of the female hormone, the plant will make male flowers. But those male flowers, of course, will only have X chromosomes in the pollen, and that pollen will create only female seeds on, a, on another female. And so most of the time, I'm not doing an S uh, selfing. I don't usually take the pollen from the same clone and cross it back to other female uh, clones of that same plant. I typically will pick two different females and I'll reverse one to be the pollen donor, a term that I started using instead of male, you know, because it's not a male. <laughs> okay. The pollen donor female and the rest of the females in the room then are allowed to open pollinate and I'll create like my whole room full of seed from probably most of the time I'm using a dozen females and one or two pollen donors that are in the same room. And that way I get a really um, predictable result from the crossing of two females that I like. And it's non-hermaphroditic uh, seed that's being created that creates nothing but 100% females. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. It's not a DNA issue like some people would think with the X's and the Y's, but it's actually a hormonal issue. And mm -hmm. that really changes the game. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your newer uh, hybrids and how people can find out more info on them as well? Sure. Well, um, brothersgrimseeds.com is our website, and um, it's a new, improved, um, very uh, nice uh, in terms of the creature comforts. Uh, uh, user experience on it is nice. Um, I'm still working on making it even better, um, but you can definitely get all of our seeds direct from the breeder um, with no middleman and our packaging. And uh, we um, are real proud of that, obviously. And um, new strains, I a couple years back, you uh, were one of the people who recognized uh, Rosetta Stone um, and put it in the top 10 in the magazine, which I really appreciate. And I point to that as an accolade um, for the company and for that strain. <clears throat> all the time. And more recently, um, <clears throat> I got a hold of a, a clone from somebody a couple of years ago that's a derivative of the GG4. And I can't say it's GG4 itself. So I kind of renamed it as Baby Gluey because I knew it was a, a sub, uh, a hybrid of the original GG4. And I liked it a lot. I tested it for hermaphroditism and it passed the test. 
under any kind of stresses, it did not produce any hermaphrodites. So what I've done uh, is crossed it to Cinderella 99, of course, because crossing Cinderella 99 to almost anything else that's a stable strain tends to give you a really good hybrid, you know, and uh, you probably know from your own work, uh, you can probably make a list of over 200 or 300 strains that are made of Cinderella 99 and something else or more than one something else. So what we call that is uh, Grim Glue. And um, it's one of the most popular strains in the last year. They first dropped around April of last year. And we had a whole outdoor season with people who bought tens of thousands of them and grew them outdoors again with like 100% female and very positive results with big resinous plants that um, they've got a little more of an indica side to them and a little more of a couch lock high than most of my strains, which are mostly geared toward the uh, cerebral euphoric type of high um, that I like, uh, sativa type high. <clears throat> and so... Grim Glue, I can't recommend enough. That's been flying off the shelves, and uh, we love it. Um, Rosetta Stone, Cinderella, the Apollo uh, XX is an Apollo 11 femme version. Uh, the Durban Tie C99, I created that way back in, like, 2000 uh, the first time, and it was a regular seed. This time I did it as a femme. And that's another one where people write back a lot and tell me like, wow, that Durban Thai C99 was just phenomenal. You know, I get pictures from people that are in overseas Sweden, you know. And, <laughs> well, I can't believe how far the Brothers Grimm Seeds name has traveled over the time that I've been doing this, which, I mean, it's not an inconsiderable amount of time. It's uh, over 20 years. Uh, and so I shouldn't be too surprised, but I am always really happy uh, to get that kind of feedback and know that um, the word and the products have traveled that far and been received with so much uh, positive uh, response. So, Yeah, you know, I talk about it as well. You, you kind of took a break in, in, in there at, at a certain time. And that's I when... explain. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people jumped in at the time uh, to make crosses because the the strains were so popular, Cindy ninety nine and the Apollo, and so they're really the backbone of a lot of the strains that were developed in you know the two thousands, uh, the the two thousand ten. You know, uh, it, it's kind of like your favorite breeder's favorite breeder, <laughs> you know. And Thank and there you. was a mystery there too, kind of like what happened. You know, they yeah, went away, and now they're. Not that was uh, that wasn't unintentional. I, I intended that to be like, okay, I'm just dropping out of sight. And we were operating during prohibition time, you know, in the '90s and early 2000. And um, I was active create with Brothers Grimm as a company from '97 to 2001 and a half or something, right? And I had a partner named Sly, and he was in uh, he was out in Vegas, and he would do some of the seed crosses. I would do some of the others. We'd combine our work together uh, and send it up to Richard up at uh, um, Heaven Stairway, and he was our one and only distributor. And he carried all the Brothers Grimm strains, <clears throat> and that went on for almost five years. And then Sly called me one day, and he said something happened with a package or envelope, you know, something to do with the mail. And he felt that our cover had been blown. And at that time, you know, you'd do 20 years for growing and cultivating in your house. 
And I lived in Boston, where Massachusetts was a pretty stiff place. So when he called and gave me that heads up, I think my, you know, I might have gotten us in trouble. I just tore everything down, went to the dump and dropped it off and bye bye. And so my wife, who was Belgian, suggested, why don't we sell the house and go back to Belgium? I said, yeah, let's do that. We sold the house. We moved over to Belgium. I stayed there for another two years. And so I got an opportunity to come back to America, live in Boston and work in a different field. I, I just wasn't feeling secure enough to go back into business in the cannabis business. I got back into nuclear engineering. It was a really good job. And I rode that out for another five or six years. And then when I got the opportunity to uh, come to Colorado, uh, to a state where the cannabis business was legal here, <clears throat> I thought, okay, this is my chance. I've been on the sidelines long enough. I've watched the legalization movement grow to the point where now here's a state that's been legal cannabis for two years. I felt confident that it's going to stick. It's not going to change. They're not going to reverse that decision. I brought out all the seeds that I had stored in my grandmother's freezer. And you know, so we were going to go back in business and start up Brothers Grimm. And that's what we did. So uh, I'm pretty happy with where we are right now. I'm really happy with the lifestyle and the uh, position in a, on the planet where I am. I'm really, uh, you know, where I would have dreamed I could be with this trade. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, great story, great strains. And uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and, uh, you My know, pleasure. all of the the genetics over the years and everything. It's just really special. Thank you so much, uh, Rick, My for pleasure, coming babe. on the show. Uh, we were very happy to have you. We could keep talking for hours, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty long-winded, aren't I? <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. So um, so check out brothersgrimseeds.com and brothersgrimseeds on Instagram, Facebook, and everywhere else. Uh, thank you, Rick. And we will be, we you, will be back. Thank you. We'll be back All with right. more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey guys, Grow Bud Yourself is so proud to be sponsored by Sweet Leaf Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic and synthetic nutrients, uh, amazing amendments, great stuff on their website. And using the code DANKO15, you can get 15% off of everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. They have amazing organic fertilizers, amendments, indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, smell-proof bags, duffel bags, all kinds of backpacks, and an incredible line of newts that work wonderfully with cannabis. We got a great promotion going on with Patreon, where we're giving away sweet leaf nutrients at those different levels, and lots of promo codes there as well. So we are just super psyched to have Sweet Leaf on as a sponsor for the show, and we hope that you will also support them. Join us on our Patreon page for some free newts. And check out their site, sweetleaf.com, for nutrients and more. Hey, all right. Welcome back. And uh, thank you, of course, to uh, Rick Campanella, Mr. Soul, Brothers Grim Seeds, for the uh, amazing interview there. Thank you. Uh, and I believe we are now in the cultivation sec section or segment. We have safely arrived in cultivation land. <laughs> yes, which is brought to you 
by Diamond Cut Co. These are premium quality trimming scissors. They're made by growers for growers. So get yourself Diamond Cut Co. Use the code DANKO20 for 20% off. Uh, they have free shipping available, uh, expedited shipping if you're like harvesting this weekend. Uh, there's, I believe, five different uh, types of trimming scissors to choose from. And then there's packages where you can get three or all five. So check them out at Diamond Cut Co. Uh, check out their Instagram, diamond period cut period co. We really appreciate them being a sponsor and we love their scissors. So thank you to Diamond Cut Co. Yes, thank you, Diamond Cut. We appreciate that sponsorship. And, um, you know, we did a strain last week. So it is not a fortnight, but uh, every week on this show, you will get a grow tip from Danny Danko that will help you become a better grower. So, uh, what would you like to discuss this week? Yeah, this week I want to talk about uh, temperature and humidity for drying and curing. Uh, basically, we talk about temperature and humidity or basically environmental control inside the grow room, inside the grow tent, uh, during the vegetative process, during the flowering process. But we don't really talk about it during the drying and curing process. And I think it's really important because a lot of times people grow amazing buds and they smell great and they look great and uh, they have... Um, you know, they, everything going for them. And then they mess up in the drying and curing process by doing it uh, at too high of a temperature or with the wrong humidity level. And they end up with buds that don't have any taste or flavor there. You know, it's like, hey, uh, and that affects potency, too, because if you're losing terpenes, you're losing cannabinoids and things that uh, interact with the THC or if it's CBD that you're looking for or CBG, whatever it is. Uh, you're losing it. So, you know, those essential oils have to be carefully monitored. And the drying room is a place that has to be uh, controlled. So, you know, you have to keep in mind your plants are going to be giving off a large amount of moisture into the room as they dry. Uh, so that increases humidity. It's important to pull that wet air out of your space, keep air circulating in the room without actually having fans blowing right on your hanging branches. Uh, so that can dry your plants out too quick and that can result in a harsh taste, harsh, uh, burning buds. Keep in mind, it also is very much about your location. So if you're in a dry place like Colorado, uh, or Nevada, you're going to struggle to extend your drying time and you're going to be using humidifiers while, uh, you know, if you're in Northern California or, uh, like where we are in the Northeastern U S you might need dehumidifiers to actually pull water from the air, uh, just to avoid having, bud rot or mold uh, spreading because of too much moisture. So it's really situational to where you are and, and what your ambient uh, temperatures and moisture are outside as well. Um, now, the ideal temperature for your drying room is going to be between 65 to 74 degrees. I would try to stay as low as possible uh, because uh, you have to keep in mind that terpenes are going to be released even at 80 degrees. So uh, 65 to 74 uh, degrees Fahrenheit with a humidity between 45 and 50% uh, in a dark but well-ventilated room. Um, the cannabinoids and, as I mentioned, terpenes and flavonoids can evaporate and be released at temperatures as they approach 80 degrees. That's going to diminish scent, flavor, and potency. Uh, within 6 to 10 days of hanging, your branches should snap instead of bending. Uh, and the buds should feel popcorn dry on the outside. Uh, this is the time that you cut those individual buds from your branches, 
put them into glass jars and begin the curing process. You want to cure your buds in a cool, dark place. And uh, by cool, I mean uh, 68 to 72 degrees tops. Uh, so a cool, dark place uh, sealed inside the jars. Open those jars uh, as frequently as needed to replace that air. And you'll be set with really amazing tasting and amazing smelling and high potency buds well there you go that's the trifecta so you want those amazing smelling tasting and high potency buds so thank you for that grow tip uh, we hope that helps some people out there and uh, now it's time to answer some listener grow questions what do you think indeed let's get at it all right. So uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, uh, get in touch with us. You can email us. Uh, that would be info at growbudyourself.com. And uh, we also check Patreon and YouTube and the socials for questions. So hit us up. Uh, the first question comes from Ben from Across the Pond. Uh, ben writes, hey, Mike and Danny. Uh, thanks, as always, for an awesome show. I listen every week. So my first indoor grow has had its first efficiency problem. I'm growing organically in soil charged with mealworm frass, which gets top-dressed monthly, and compost tea every fortnight. Uh, you see what he did there? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I flipped into flower about two and a half weeks ago, and not long after, noticed a few leaves kind of in the middle of the plant showing quite a lot of small brown spots. A few leaves at the bottom of the plant have now gone yellow and shriveled, and right at the top of the canopy, the new shoots and leaves are quite yellow, and some also have green veins. I'm thinking I have a CalMag deficiency due to our soft water, which is also affecting uptake of iron. I've found a supposedly organic, suitable CalMag supplement, which contains calcium carbonate and magnesium sulfate. I'm hoping this will help out, but the timing couldn't be worse given the budlets are just starting to show. Uh, do you think my plants will recover, and will my yield be affected by this setback? Thanks again, you guys rock. So what, what would you say to Ben? Yes. So, uh, Ben, it does sound like, uh, you know, CalMag or even more so probably just magnesium deficiency. So I would recommend treating that with a high magnesium type of product. Uh, I love Ultramag uh, or Magnitude from Sweetleaf, uh, one of our sponsors, uh, full disclosure. You can get 15% off uh, on that with the code DANKO15. And uh, we have even higher codes on our Patreon page if you want to join up there. But uh, I would definitely recommend treating your plants. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be sweet leaf, but I believe that they have a great product, uh, great organic amendments, and uh, we'll specifically treat that issue for you. All right, there you go. We hope that helps you out there, Ben. Uh, sorry for the poor timing on the deficiency. Let's move on to KC. And KC writes, uh, Dear Danny and Mike G, I've listened to your entire GBY podcast. So I send major thank yous uh, from Cook County, Illinois, city of Chicago. You dudes are a true inspiration. Uh, Danny's book is my go-to text since I got my tent going last year, and I'm officially in debt to you now that I am in week one of flowering of my second round. Uh, I'm growing four plants now in week one of flowering. Can you give me a description of the first weeks of flowering as I'm trying to confirm I have females? I'm growing four different varieties from dispensary and prohibition era bag seed. I'm in for an adventure during flowering, but I want to make sure I don't have a male. I'm pretty sure there's a moment the pistols shoot out or the banana drops, but if they haven't by now, do I have males or intersex plants, perhaps? Um, 
Okay, so basically there's a lot of other information here, but essentially what Casey wants to know is uh, what to look out for to make sure he's uh, only growing female plants. So what would you say? Yeah, so you're looking basically for uh, the the pre-flowers or the flowers as they begin to show. And don't worry too much because you do have some time before they actually open up and release pollen. Uh, Those first two weeks are not going to be a time when that pollen is released. So you have a little bit of a window here. The only issue is you're growing male plants and you're wasting, you know, light and energy and time and nutrients and stuff if you have a male in the bunch. Uh, But there is a window of time when you can get rid of that male without uh, seeding your crops. So just keep watching those pre-flowers and the flowers. Uh, Use a loop, a magnifying glass of some kind to really get in there close. And you'll start to see those uh, the calyx will form. If it's a teardrop-shaped uh, calyx, it'll start forming. It won't have the white hairs yet, uh, but it'll start, you know, eventually the white hair will start poking out of the calyx. And you'll know that that's showing very much uh, female-dominant uh, signs. Now, for males, it's going to look like the bananas that you mentioned. Uh, first, kind of like a spike that comes out. Uh, and then the bananas start forming, and then when they're hang- by the time they start hanging down, it's really a stark difference to what a female flower looks like, and you're really just trying to avoid those hanging bananas from opening up, and that because that's when they release the pollen. But that's typically, you know, three weeks to a month or so after you've triggered uh, the flowering cycle. They take a little while to form, and and even after they form, it's going to be a little while before they open. So, uh, I mean, I would say three weeks. So, you know, a month is a little too long. You want to catch them definitely and kill them before they open. So, uh, but don't stress too much because you do have a, a decent window there. All right, there you go. Uh, thank you, Casey. Let's move on to Southwest Grower, who writes, uh, Dear Danny and Mike, I love the show. I've been following since the free weed days. I've learned a lot. Keep up the stellar work. My question is, I'm planning on germinating three plants, all different strains, inside on a windowsill, so not in a grow room, and then moving them outdoors into five-gallon planters. Would it be okay for the ladies to hide inside a shed every now and then when people decide to drop by during the day? I don't want anyone to see them because where I live is still a crappy state in the cannabis world. Uh, The days are hot and the nights get chilly here, Any advice on this would be killer. This would be my first grow thanks to the show that's gotten me interested in home cultivation. So, yeah, what would you say to Southwest Grower? Okay, so uh, the first thing I would say is if you're growing them and you're starting them on a windowsill, it would be very beneficial for you uh, to add some light to that. Even if it's a southern-facing window, uh, you want to have a little more light than you normally would get at a time like, uh, you know, March or what we're dealing with right now. Uh, so even just a nice little shop light, fluorescent uh, light, any kind of light that you can add will will make those plants a little bit healthier and less stretchy, uh, which they will tend to do in a windowsill. Um, as far as moving the plants, just make sure that they're in a container. I, you know, if you're growing them outside, uh, in five-gallon container minimum, you know, that's your typical Home Depot bucket or whatever size. Uh, that should be about the minimum, but that you can pretty easily pick up and carry, uh, bring into a shed when necessary, and put back outside. Just remember to put it back outside. You don't want it uh, sitting in the shed all day, but it can take some time 
to you can take time and hide that plant or those three plants in a shed uh, while people are visiting and then put them back outside. Um, as far as days and nights, you know, cannabis doesn't mind a chilly evening as long as it's not, you know, frosty. Uh, it actually enjoys it. So that hot day, chilly night thing is not so bad. Uh, if it gets too cold, definitely bring those plants into the shed. Uh, but yeah, good luck. Just, you know, keep them well watered. Uh, keep them in, you know, full sun if you can. And uh, yeah, just enjoy. Have fun and stay safe. Okay. Uh, so thank you, Southwest Grower. We hope that helps. Let's move on to uh, Sharif, who writes, um, oh, here we go, some shameless self-promotion. Uh, I'm a medical marijuana patient and a Grow Bud Yourself podcast junkie, just wondering how I can obtain a signed copy of Danny's book. <laughs> that sounds like a setup, but... Uh, <laughs> we really got this. <laughs> it's a real email. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can get a copy of the book. The best way, I think, to get a copy of the book is to sign up as a Patreon supporter of the podcast. You get uh, extra content. You get uh, nutrients from Sweet Leaf. Uh, at that level, the $25 or uh, a month or the $42 per month level, uh, you get like merch, uh, uh, special codes to use at Sweetleaf for, for even higher savings, 20%, 25%, I think, at the, at the $42 level. Uh, and you get a signed copy of my book, all included, and you support the show. But if you just want a signed copy of the book, uh, I would say just contact me through... Uh, social media DMs on Instagram or uh, Twitter or Facebook, and we can work it out through Venmo or PayPal or uh, Zelle or, or however else, Cash App. You know, I got them all. So, uh, yeah, and it's $15, uh, usually about 2 or $3 shipping, depending on where you're located. Uh, and I'll sign the book and send it out to you very happily and uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks for your support. Uh, and again, there's lots of ways to get the copy signed um, directly for me or by signing up at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Danny Danko. So there's lots of ways to sign up or you can just follow us on there, too. So but that's uh, a great way to support the show and get yourself a free copy of the book. Yeah, you could also just uh, show up at his house any time of the day or night. Just knock on his door and uh, he'll sign a copy of your book. So thank that's, you. That's not accurate at oh. all. <laughs> Please don't. Thank you, Sharif. We appreciate that. Let's. Uh, we got time for one more here. So let's go to Slappy, who writes, uh, Hey, guys, hoping you can help me out with a question. Uh, what do you think is the best hydroponic method for long-term growth of mother plants? Uh, big ups from Newark. And, uh, well, that might be Newark or it might be Newark, because for reasons that are beyond me, um, if you're in New Jersey, it's Newark. But if you're in Delaware, it's Newark. <laughs> but anyway, what would you say to Slappy? Uh, okay, slappy. Um, I don't usually recommend people grow their mothers hydroponically uh, unless you know what you're doing, but uh, typically I say soil or cocoa. Uh, those mediums are more forgiving over long periods of time. Uh, also, you know, another what's sometimes a disadvantage of growing in soil uh, is that the plants grow a little slower. Uh, in soil or, or soilless mix or cocoa than they do in hydro. So unless you need clones all the time, uh, you won't have this big kind of fast-growing, unmanageable tree uh, to continually have to trim back or whatever, um, depending on how many clones you need. But uh, if you do choose the hydroponic route, 
uh, for mother plants, my recommendation would be uh, deep water culture, uh, also DWC, sometimes shortened to that. Uh, but it's a deep water culture. It's each plant gets its own uh, container, so it allows plenty of space for your roots to grow. Uh, there's a lot of water uh, going in there, but you don't have to change the reservoir all the time because uh, you know it's all self-contained inside that bucket, uh, and the roots are misted. The plants grow very quickly, uh, but and you can keep them healthy, but you just have to maintain that water at like the proper temperature the proper pH and the proper parts per, per million of your nutrient solution. Um, most hydro systems are built to grow more than one plant, uh, but DWC is a good way to grow a single massive bush with lots, lots of branches uh, and shoots from which to take your clones. Uh, just make sure you change that nutrient solution at, at the very least every two weeks, uh, top it off if needed uh, and take care uh, to make sure that it doesn't get too warm or cold. Uh, you don't want to shock the roots and you don't want root rot from hot water. So that's my recommendation for hydroponic mother plants. All right, there you go. We, uh, we hope that helps you out there, Slappy. Uh, thanks for writing in. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. And uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Uh, email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Um, join us on uh, Patreon, YouTube, on the socials. Uh, we're going to take a little break, then come back and wrap this up. Let's do it. All right, welcome back, and here we have the wrap. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. That was a solid show right there. <laughs> Indeed, a solid, solid show. Uh, I want to thank uh, Rick Campanella, a.k.a. Mr. Soul of Brothers Grim Seeds, for coming on the show. Uh always DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the song. Um, everybody that sponsors the show and supports the show, Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Diamond Cut Co., Vapor.com, uh, all our Patreon supporters, you guys rock. Uh, next week we'll be doing the announcements of the people who uh, support us on Patreon and they get shout-outs on the show. So uh, next week will be the show that we do our our shout outs at that $42 a month level for you guys. Um, that has been growing. So we really love that. Anybody that wants to support us, uh, you know, even if it's $4 and 20 cents a month, that's awesome. And we love you guys for that. And we really, truly appreciate it. You get a bunch of free stuff at all the different levels. So please support us at patreoncom slash Danny Danko. Um, I want to thank my co-host, my business partner and my producer mike g how are you mike <laughs> i feel like um i feel like you're concerned about me that's like the third time you've checked in on me during the show are well, you i just don't me? know how okay. to like <laughs> i'm all right i got clunky uh segues to you no 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 that's fine i'm look it feels nice that you care so i'm good how are you i'm good i'm good i think uh i think we we put out a great show this week and i hope you guys enjoyed it this is episode 46. I say we put it in the books. That's a wrap. You still there? Are you there, Mike? Are you there? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs>